This week on the RV Podcast. The ongoing wildfire crisis and the role campers play in causing them. We'll hear from a fire official. A terrible highway tragedy that killed five people when an RV blew a tire on I-91 in Pennsylvania and then veered into the path of a semi. Expert tips on keeping your RV roof in good shape. Plus the RV News of the Week travel tips, your RV questions, all coming up on episode 460 of the RV Podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Mike Wedland. This is my lifelong traveling companion and my bride, Jennifer. And right behind us is our loyal beast, Bo, the Norwegian elk hound. I think a, th- a thunderstorm must be out there because he's trying to get under the desk. <laughs> yeah, I guess that. Or he old. just wants to know where his microphone is. <laughs> that could be. It could be. Hey, just a quick reminder that uh, we bring you this podcast in different uh, formats. If you would like to watch a video version of it with lots of extra content showing in video, you can do so uh, on our RV Lifestyle YouTube channel. There's a player that you'll find on the rvlifestyle.com uh, blog under the podcast tab, but just go to YouTube and you can watch it. It's uh, out every Wednesday. And of course, uh, as always, as a podcast, uh, an audio only version is available through all of your favorite podcast apps, or you can listen through a player on our rvlifestyle.com website. So there you go. Well, well, uh, uh, summer's kind of winding down, isn't it? Uh, this isn't what they, isn't this what they call uh, the dog days of summer? <laughs> Bo is certainly warm out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is. Uh, if you have not made your fall travel plans, may we suggest that you do so? I think fall has turned into. Uh, equally as as popular a time to camp as uh, as summertime i know personally i prefer camping in the fall it's my favorite time of the year i mean they're all talking this is gonna be a particularly busy year with the uh with the big uh eclipse coming lots of people in the path of that eclipse so campgrounds have been sold out for months and of course every year halloween becomes a bigger and bigger attraction uh hey while we're talking about the fall schedule we should talk about hershey we've had several of you ask will we be at hershey this year is it going to be a meetup and the answer is no we are going to skip hershey this year we've been there pretty much all of the 12 years we have been uh, doing this except for the that dreaded covid year but um it, the reason we aren't going is it's just too hard to do what we, what our main purpose is in going, which is always to tell you and show you the new RVs. There are just so many people going there. It takes us at least a half hour to, to shoot a video, maybe longer because we need to learn a little bit about the RV. We need to talk to some of the reps. And then we need uninterrupted time inside the RV to shoot it. Um, during the public days, there must be 200, 300 other so-called YouTubers and, and people who uh, are trying to do the same thing we do, and it's just impossible. And so many of the dealers, because they're there to sell RVs, they don't want you know video crews in shooting these things because they can't show it to the public. And it becomes frustrating, and uh, it just is too hard. There's an industry day, but it's only one day. And it's been our experience that many times you go to see an RV on industry day and it's locked up because the, the staff and the 
team that are there from the manufacturer, the dealer, they're wrestling up, you know. I mean, it was amazing last year. How often that happened. Yeah. It, 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 all the time. We went early. I was sick even. And we went, we got, oh, let's go look at this. Maybe wow. that's why they were Nobody locked up. Went. They didn't want to be around you because you were sick. Be <laughs> they they knew you were coming. They saw you coming and they locked the door. But, you know, this is a thing that uh, I know a lot of, of uh, fellow influencers like ours who, who have pretty good channels and big followings. Uh, they too have pretty much stopped going because it's, it's too hard to do our stories. So instead, we're still going to show you all the new RVs, but we're going to go see them at uh, the uh, Elkhart Dealer Open House. Now, that is not a public show, uh, but it's a show that's open to dealers around the country. Elkhart does it uh, just a little bit after Hershey. All the new models are there. I mean, 80%, 75% of all the RVs in the world are made right in Elkhart. So we'll go see them there. We have much better chance of having that uninterrupted time to go in and shoot the, the videos. So we're going to do that. And plus, we're going to a rally the same week as Hershey uh, for the Montana owners. And that will be fun. Mm -hmm. And then we're doing a family camp out trip. Yes, I, we had like three things for the same week. <laughs> and then the first week of October, we are in Nashville for our meetup with our friends and followers. And uh, that's been sold out, but there's a waiting list. And uh, that's a big, uh, that's going to be fun. Music City meetup. And uh, we're going to go to the Grand Ole Opry. So we're about ready to get into a pretty busy time. Got to get our truck fixed, so we had somebody kind of hit and run and scrape up the side of it a long time ago, really, oh, several months forever now. ago. And it takes, it's been probably three months that we've been waiting to get it fixed from a collision shop. And uh, we have an appointment next week with that. And they say they need it for nine days. It's not very much damage, but it's so hard to get anybody to do any kind of work. It, it is yeah. what's happened to our country. It's kind of cramped, clipping our wings here for taking yeah. off and doing what we want to do. So that's good. Uh, but speaking of our Montana, our high country, our video tour of it, our epic video, <laughs> Inside and Out, came out this past weekend. And we had lots of really good response from people. A lot of people asking questions. Yeah, they wonder what happened to our first fifth wheel. That would be our, our Arcadia. Arcadia. And want. the answer is we traded it in. Yeah. And we have found that we go through RVs a lot, but our idea is we want to try as many as we can so that when we get questions that we have experience with. So we've had class B's, class C's, uh, now fifth wheels. We have had a towable in the past. We've had a pop-up in the past. The only thing we haven't ever had is a class A. And that may come someday. I don't know. We haven't had one of those. But um, if you trade them in within a year or so, you get the best return. And we had had a lot of options on that Arcadia, and we were able to, to get a great trade, uh, to trade it in and, and get a pretty good deal on this Montana. So... We are pretty excited, but lots of questions like they want to know what tow vehicle do we use? Well, we can still use our F-250, even though I'm sure Mike is drooling for something a little bit larger, but we can still use what we've got. I have really been looking at these uh, 3500 Sierras from GMC. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and the uh, F-350 from Ford. Yeah, but uh, our 2021 heavy duty uh, F250 diesel has is, has been is, handles it. It's uh, it, it's able to handle the weight. Uh, this uh, fifth wheel we have is not one of the heavier ones. It's only 35 feet long. So, and I gotta say, I have come to really like that F250. 
250 that we have. I was unsure of it, but I love that thing. If you all were with us when we bought that, you remember Jennifer's reluctance. <laughs> she drove it for the first time. She drove it home from Hershey last year. Yeah, and she got miles. out of that 500 mile trip and she's I'm ready, let's go more. You know, it's kind of like learning how to swim. You just threw me on off the dock. Yep, and she loved it. And I loved it. She did. Um, other questions that came from our Montana video, uh, people wanted to know if we still have our Class C Leisure Travel Vans Unity, which we bought new last year at Hershey. And we do. It's sitting out there. I'm, I love our little Class C for making short trips. And... Uh, we're going to use it this week. It's uh, it's often for like mooch docking in uh, relatives' driveways and for going here and there and scooting around in traffic. And uh, we we you know we've debated whether we want to sell it, you know, because we love our fifth wheel. But as you'll hear in our questions at the end of the program, these big big rigs, like you know, if they're over thirty feet. They're it's harder and harder to find places you know to park them, you know. And there's not a lot of we like to boondock, and it's not ideal for boondocking. They're big. So that's why we kept our Class C, and we we use it fairly often. So we like it. Um, like we say, there there were a lot of questions. One of the ones is people wanted to know how Bo liked it. Oh, Bo. Bo does not like the motorhome because he can't see out the window. He could see out the window if he would sit in certain places, but he refuses to do that. He can't, he can't see him, out. Can't teach and an he, old dog new tricks. He wants to ride shotgun, and I'm not giving up my seat <laughs> so that he can see out the window. So he does not like the motorhome even a little. And uh, it's really pretty funny because you go to take a trip and he'll look at the truck and he'll look at the motorhome and then he knows we're going in the motorhome and he'll keep looking at the truck like, hey, guys, let's take the truck. Now, in the truck, when we're pulling the fifth wheel, Bo has the whole back seat to himself. He can look out the windows and he sits there like a big boy looking out the windows and he just totally enjoys it. Yeah. And he likes having the extra room. He's happy in any RV once we get someplace. He loves going to the new places because uh, that always means new sense, new things to explore. But he, he never has liked driving. And it goes back to, I think, you know, um, Bo never was in one of our class B's, but he was in one of our smaller C's. In which didn't he was he was fine. He was on the back seat where we want him to ride in the back. He loved it. But it got the road was so bad that the shade fell down on him. It was a near death experience oh. for him. <laughs> so then he didn't like that RV anymore. He never could get him back in a. In and actually, Mike, you've forgotten in the bees. The refrigerator doors never stayed. Oh shut. yeah, they would, they and would that was up. very scary too because the sky was falling. Food would fall. Out. <laughs> it was just a mess. Yeah. So he, they remember these things. They remember. remember things. So he does not like riding it in the motorhome. Uh, so another question that we have been getting a lot is uh, our property at the Woodlands in Tennessee, the five acres that we've developed there into three RV sites. Uh, is that for sale? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, we haven't been really seriously pursuing it like we probably should. We haven't listed it with anybody. We mentioned it here once and we got a lot of emails back, but um, our, we, we feel that uh, and a couple of people, this amazed me, people at, wanted to buy it sight unseen. 
Yeah, and we feel that you have to see the property. You have to see the town of Linden. You have to see the roads. You have to see the whole community to make sure it's right for you because it is a small town. It's a small town, and uh, you know you never want to buy real estate without actually physically seeing mm -hmm. it. And even though our videos, I think, give you a pretty good idea what it's like, you need to go and see it and breathe the air and you know walk around and uh, and so we haven't really pursued a lot of it because our schedule has been really busy and we probably need to be a little more aggressive in selling it. But um, I, I'm reluctant to say this because I know I'll get tons of email and most of it are from people who just want to kick the wheels. And I mean, if you're really serious, uh, you can email us uh, in our private email, which is Mike and Jen at RVLifestyle.com. Ah, now on to uh, what everybody else is talking about. And social media is where you find it. And our RV Lifestyle Facebook group, now 210 plus thousand, 210,000 members of our RV Lifestyle Facebook group. And Wendy does a great job every week of highlighting several of those things that everybody's talking about. So let's hear what Wendy has to say this week. Hi, everybody. School may be back in many parts of the country, but that doesn't mean it's not hot and humid out there. And that's just what Kaylee wrote about last week. Kaylee said she's a new RVer. She's living in Florida in her trailer. And she said, what does everyone do about the humidity? It's been a real problem for her. And she got so many suggestions. I just had to share them with you uh, today. Some people suggested she get plants. There are certain plants out there that absorb moisture. Others suggested she get some charcoal, set it out. It's also a great way to absorb moisture. And many recommended a product called Damprid. They said it really helps get the moisture out of the air. And by far the most common advice was to get a good dehumidifier, run it 24-7. So I have to leave you with those tips. And next we heard from Elsa. Elsa said she walked into her rig's bathroom and she found a shredded snake skin. That's right. Ugh. And so she took a picture of it and she asked the group, what should I do? And what I loved about this post is there was so much genuine concern for her. Uh, many were worried by the looks of the skin that it was a rattler. And I'm happy to say it was not a rattler. Um, many suggested she get out of there. She hire a professional to find that snake. Um, and she also put updates on what she was doing. She searched, she couldn't find it. She decided to plug any entries or exits in her rig. Um, she found a couple. She then got a product called Snake Be Gone and stuck it around. Apparently this helps keep the snakes out. Um, many people suggested she get a sticky glue trap and put that around. It, I don't I didn't see that she did that, but that's something to keep in mind if you're ever in that situation. But at the end of this tale, she thinks she found the snake. It was a black snake. She found it outside her rig. It was shiny like it had a new uh, skin. So it had a happy ending to the snake tail there. And then finally, the last thing I'd like to leave you with has to do with RV refrigerators and freezers. That is something that comes up a lot on the RV Lifestyle Facebook group. People having trouble keeping the temperature right in their RV fridge or freezer. And so Michelle must have seen a lot of these questions. And so she shared what she does. She gets a cup, she fills it with water, freezes it. And then once it's solid ice, she puts a quarter on top of it. And she says she puts that in her RV freezer. Then when she comes back in her rig after being out exploring all day, if that quarter moves at all in the, its place in the glass, she knows that the 
temperature changed and the water melted and refroze a little bit. She says it's a real quick and easy way to make sure that um, the temperature is okay and her food is safe to eat. Many said they did the same thing, but there were so many who did not, and they really appreciated that tip. And so I had to share it with you. And that's it for me this week. I'm Wendy Boyer, and that's just a tiny sampling of the tips and suggestions and help being offered to RVers over at the RV Lifestyle Facebook group. I just love all those tips. We learned about that coin on a frozen cup of water trick a long time ago. And uh, actually, it really helped us out. I remember one time on one of our class B's, the refrigerator went out while we were driving. And and you lost, how many times did we lose? Oh, we lost food, food several times. Sometimes B's. it was operator error and other times things that we I don't know. We couldn't control. Maybe we could have. I don't think it was ever operator error on the on the refrigerator. It just, for various reasons, those smaller ones didn't seem to work as well. But anyway, speaking of food, oh, now it's time for the, our food recipe of the week. Our camping food recipe of the week. Uh, we opened a sister blog earlier this summer called CampingFoodRecipes.com because. I think next to finding a good campsite and what to see in an area, what to eat is on top of everybody's mind. Jerrica Ma is our editor of uh, Camping Food Recipes, and she's got a great one for us this week. Hey, camping foodies. Jerrica here with CampingFoodRecipes.com. And this week, I'm really excited because I am sharing one of your favorite recipes that was submitted to our site. Lorraine submitted an easy taco soup recipe that is so good, and you can make it several different ways. You can make it on the stovetop, you could even cook it over the campfire, um, or you can simmer it in your crock pot. So while you're out hiking or adventuring, um, it's cooking and building all of those flavors until you return to enjoy it. Um, so it's really a great simple option, um, especially for those who don't want to be weighed down with a heavy meal. It's it's healthy and it has everything that you need. It has um, meat and veggies and fiber and plenty of flavor um, just to satisfy your taste buds and give you the boost of energy that you need when you're camping. Um, for those of you who are vegetarian, don't be deterred because you can easily just omit the meat and you still have a great, well-balanced taco soup recipe that you can enjoy. Um, so it's also a great option for lunch or dinner or even as a side to um, the several like pie iron si sandwich recipes that we have on our site and that you should definitely check out. But I hope that you go and check out this recipe. Lorraine, we're so thankful that you shared it. And we're excited to get more submissions like yours from our camping community. So if you want to be like Lorraine, you can go to our website, click on submit a recipe and um, share your favorite recipe. That way we can share it with many more and we can enjoy exactly what you and your family enjoy on your camping trips. So thank you for tuning in this week. I will be back next week with another camping food favorite, and I hope to see you then. I think what I like about that recipe is it's flexible. Camp, camp cooktop or the campfire, or you can put it in a crock pot. So and yeah. who doesn't like taco soup? I can't imagine anybody who wouldn't like taco soup. Right. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about fires, wildfires. And uh, by the way, you'll learn in this coming up interview that this was Smokey the Bear's birthday this past week. You'll learn how old he is. But um, you've heard so much. It's been in our news of the week almost every week this summer, the wildfires, particularly in Canada, uh, how bad they've been. 
uh, what causes them, uh, what we as campers can do to minimize the, um, well, we've had a pretty strong effect in causing a lot of them campers have. And I think we want to learn some tips on that. And uh, we're really excited. We have a, a federal fire official that we talked to last week about this. And you'll hear her coming up on the interview of the week right after this. The one thing that can ruin a perfect RV trip is a bad mattress. And believe us, we know over the years, we've tried many and found them all wanting until now. Now we sleep on the RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding. Quite simply, it's the best we've ever slept on. We chose a queen-sized Aurora Lux medium firm mattress that arrived tightly rolled in a box. All we had to do is put it on the bed, unroll it, and wait for it to recover from the compression. Then we put the sheets and the bed covers on, and we found we slept so well on it that we ordered another one for our home. That's how comfortable it is. Our sleep is now so luxurious and deep that we can't imagine using a different mattress. Shipping is free. And if you're disappointed with the current mattress in your RV, you owe it to yourselves to try the RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding. Brooklyn Bedding sends out all of their RV mattresses from their own factory in Arizona. That means they're able to use premium materials at a reasonable price for you with no middleman bringing up the cost. And right now, if you visit rvmattress.com slash RV lifestyle, you'll get the maximum discount off your mattress with the promo code RV lifestyle. Again, use the promo code RV lifestyle for a big discount on your RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding. We're sure you'll be as thrilled with your RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding as we are with ours. It really is the most comfortable mattress we've ever slept on. Welcome back, everybody. Time now for the interview of the week. Did you know that 87% of the wildfires are started by people? Yeah, 87%. Uh, yeah, lightning causes some, but not nearly as many. And oftentimes that 87% involves uh, fires that began because people were careless while camping. So uh, when we heard those statistics, we realized this was more than just a warning, that we wanted to make sure that we're all doing the most we can to from, from to causing more of these wildfires, which have been for the last several years have been just terrible. Uh, on our show today, we have Jennifer Mislivy, and she is a spokeswoman for the National Intra-Agency Fire Center. They're based in Boise, Idaho. And I think you're going to find this interesting. Here's Jennifer. This has been quite a year for you guys. Uh, um, from previous years, it's a little bit quieter. Um, but yeah, we're still fairly busy with um, wildfires across the West. And, and I guess and I'm, Alaska. I'm thinking because we're hearing so much too about the wildfires in Canada that have so disrupted things uh, in the northern states, uh, both uh, on the East Coast and on the West Coast. So uh, give us a sense right now as we record this in uh, mid-August, uh, uh, roughly what percentage of wildfires are going on right now? How many of them are right now, As of today, we got the numbers. There's 88 large wildfires burning in 12 states. Um, so that could be Texas, Oklahoma, um, Alaska's got wildfires, and then our western states. We do have some in New Mexico as well. So there's 88 large, wall, 88 large wildfires burning across 12 different states as of this morning. Now, you indicated that 
this is not as bad as previous years. Uh, roughly, how, how does it compare to, to give us a sense of, of it seems like we've, we've been hearing so much more about it over the last few years than we ever have before. Yeah, and it's actually um, from our numbers, we're probably down almost, I think they said half of what the wildfires we would normally see at this time of year from previous years. And then that can be for many things. We had a lot of, we had a really wet winter in some places. So a lot of our higher elevations that we would see wildfires in, um, the trees, they got a lot of snowpack, um, like you saw in the Sierras last winter. Um, so that's kind of helped um, limit those wildfires in those type of elevations. Um, but the lower elevations with the brush and the um, grass and even some of the timber areas are seeing, are starting to see some wildfires from the lightning storms that have come in the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, it hasn't been, especially with our friends to the north in Canada, unprecedented wildfires um, that they're seeing. And so we're, we've been supporting them with a lot of resources since the 1st of May. Boy, you know, and I, if we look at North America, it seems, you know, for practical purposes, it's all one thing. I mean, there's, there's yeah. Canadian fires, which we certainly have never seen like this before. Um, one of the statistics that we saw, and I don't know how true it is or how much of an urban myth it is or a, a wilderness myth it is. We'll start a new trace. Um, what percentage are caused by campers? How, how big How big of a role do campers play in this, these fires? So we don't really have a category for campers. We have human-caused and lightning-caused wildfires. So that's how we split them out. So as the numbers actually came out a few days ago, in our um, human-caused wildfires this year, um, we've had approximately 29,000 human-caused wildfires as of date, so that's beginning from January 1. That has burned um, over 861,000 acres. And we've had approximately 2,600 lightning-caused fires that's burned about 450,000 acres. So, um, And then during human-caused, we can break that down a little bit more with campfires, um, target shooting or shooting fires, roadside starts, debris burning. Um, but we don't necessarily have a camping one or kind of human cause. But campers do um, have um, some causes like, you know, driving, you know, on dry grass or dragging chains or um, debris burning. Different things that you can happen with, with campers or camp people enjoying the outdoors. I think the 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 biggest uh, cause I would think for many of the campers would be campfires that get out of control. So <laughs> since most of our audience are campers, mm-hmm. uh, we can maybe start with uh, what are some of the common ways they cause a fire. You mentioned dragging chains. I don't know if people understand what that means. And then uh, about campfires. Yeah, so a couple of things that we were seeing with folks that have campers or trailers or dragging chains. So the safety chains that where you're hooking up your trailer or your boat to your vehicle um, is those safety chains that are not completely secure and they're dragging on the ground causing sparks. And those sparks will ignite roadside fires um, when they get into the fine flashy fuels or the grass and um, will start roadside fires. And so that's one of the big causes we see is those safety chains that are not securely fastened. So before you guys head out, just make sure do a quick check, check those safety chains to make sure they're they're secure. Other things that are caused um, are um, parking on dry grass. A lot of folks will pull over to check something or grab a Coke out of the back or something, and um, they'll park on dry grass, not thinking that their exhaust system, which can range from 800 to 1,000 degrees, will light those grassy fuels on fire too as well. So just be careful where you park. Park on that gravel area, but avoid parking on dry grass. That's one of the causes. And then also, like I said, campfire safety. Just being cautious. Um, don't leave your campfire unattended. 
Um, I know we have a great campfire. We have some campfire safety. Smokey Bear has a great message on building your campfire, properly extinguishing them. But yeah, just making sure that you properly extinguish your campfire before you go to bed or before you leave the area for the afternoon um, and just being cautious. The other thing, too, we talk about is the weight of your trailers. You also want to properly check your bearings and your wheels, your axles. Make sure you're not overweighted if you're carrying APDs or the boat or a four-wheeler, um, your motorcycle. Just make sure that those are properly greased, they're maintained, and you've checked them. Um, they have the proper the tires are proper weighted for that trailer. A lot of those times we've seen those axles break off, and those axles and bearings still drag and they'll spark um, fires as well. So a couple things to think about for campers or people that are hauling trailers, um, boats, things like that. Uh, let's talk about campfires. Um, maybe you could break it down for us, the, the basic steps to building a safe campfire, uh, especially with so many people now boondocking in areas away from organized campgrounds. What's the best way from picking a spot to actually getting it going? Yeah, so... Obviously, we want we encourage people to use existing campfire rings. But like you said, when campers are boondocking, um, there's not very many campfire rings already existing on the metal ring. So one, we're asking folks, um, make sure it's in a proper area, clear. Um, don't build a campfire um, with trees overhanging limbs because the sparks and the stuff will get up into the trees. Have it cleared of, of heavy brush, um, logs, debris, anything on the ground. We usually say kind of be safe about 10 feet. Give yourself about a 10 feet radius of clear debris. Make sure there's no dry leaves on the grass, twigs, dried, dead um, branches. Clean that, clear that area out. Um, make sure it's properly pleasant there. And also, um, then dig a pit or just one or two shovels. People are saying approximately one feet, um, one foot um, deep in a pit just to kind of keep that, the stuff, the, the logs and brush down safely. And then put a, a, a rock ring, give it a little bit of buffer, um, have, you know, sparks, embers. Sometimes, you know, see them flash out when you see the campfire doing their little thing. But, yeah, just keep sure that rock ring is safe around the campfire. Um, then when you're building your actual, you know, fire, um, have your um, logs, your twigs, your sticks all w- within that rock ring. Don't have anything hanging over the fires, you know, like I said, we'll they spark and all that, you know, sound, but those that spark can travel very far. And so they've seen sparks travel, you know, a distance and they can get into that grassy area too. So make sure that your the stuff that you're building your campfire with is well within that rock range. Um, people like using the teepee effect. So putting, you know, building your um, campfire using that teepee with the logs and the, and with the logs and all your twigs and everything and kind of doing that. But make sure your campfire is manageable. Don't have a roaring campfire because, like I said, those sparks can travel. And so even having a 10-foot radius, um, that spark can travel outside of that and get into that brush. So make sure you, you know, you keep your campfire manageable. Always have a bucket. I have Smokey Bear's bucket here. Bucket of water and a shovel um, present as well in case you have to get one of those sparks out or something like that. But have all those things safe, um, in a safe, close area so you can have it for safety reasons. But yeah, just keeping that fire manageable for sure. Uh, so many people, they'll have a fire and then they'll just let it die down and then they'll go to bed uh, without really taking, you know, spreading the coals and putting water or dirt over them. Uh, maybe we could talk about that a little bit because I imagine that is also a, a cause of, of wildfires. Yeah, because people think that, oh, it's going to die down. Nothing's going to happen. It's nighttime. It's cooler. But also nighttime, some of that times the um, 
the wind picks up. And so even if you let your campfire burn out, like people think, those ashes are still there and the wind picks up and they'll, they'll whip those ashes out into the grass. And that's what a lot of times happen when people go to bed or they leave their um, campfire um, for, throughout the day, the afternoon winds and stuff will come up and pick up those ashes. So you want to kind of, these are kind of the things that we have. So you, you drown, stir and feel. So you drown, you drown the campfire, bucket of water, hell in the water that you have, stir it, um, use a little bit of dirt to kind of bring up those, um, the burned um, logs and things like that to get it up to get some air to it. Stir again, use more water, and then feel the back of your hand. We want folks to not just stick your hand in there, but just kind of feel in the back of your hand, feel the heat. There's, if it's too too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. So just continue that ground stir and feel until it's completely um, out. You still have warm areas because that dirt's going to be warm, and some of those rocks are going to be warm that are that are in that fire pit. But just want to make sure that there's nothing. That will be able to be picked up by um, the breeze that could come up that kind of carry those embers. But yeah, just stir, um, drown, stir, and feel is what we're, we're telling folks to make sure that that fire is completely out before you go to bed or you leave the area. I would imagine that one thing that is also a major problem during a wildfire outbreak are people who are back in the boondocks and maybe haven't really been paying attention to it and don't even know that there's a fire out there. What can people do? to be better informed about fire risk and when it's time to pack up camp and get out of town. Yeah. A lot of times what we're telling folks is to know before you go. So if you're, if you're taking off this weekend to go um, camping, always check the area that you're going to be visiting. Is there a camp? Is there one, is there fire restrictions in the area that's going to actually determine if you're going to have a campfire or not Two, if there's a wildfire in the area. And then what are the restrictions? Some of those wildfires have closed areas that you can't go into. So always know before you go. But if you're already there camping and a wildfire does break out, um, just, yeah, be cautious. A lot of times our cell phones are still within range. Not a lot, a lot of places you go that, you know, you don't really have service. But always just check. Maybe you'll see alerts or you'll go to the camping. Some places have wildfire information websites. Um, but also, if there is a wildfire, um, the local sheriff and things are going to come and talk to you and let you know to either one, level one evacuation, being just kind of stay, or two, they want you out of the area. So yeah, just kind of be cautious, you know, check before you leave to go to the camping area, but also just be aware if you see things, you see them on your phone, um, you get alerts. Also, there's some places that will give you a wildfire alert, so you can enroll into that depending on what state that is. Um, but yeah, they also will just let you know, too, if there's something that does come out, you'll have the sheriff's department or fire resources will come and talk to you or local agencies. So just be prepared. Always, kind of like I said, stay in contact. Let people know where you're going to camp. If you're going to go camping for an area and you have a family member that they can reach you, let you know, you know, hopefully that will help too. So always let folks know where you're going to be camping or recreating for that weekend, just so that they're aware of something does come up. Know before you go. I think that's pretty good. Uh, yep. And uh, just uh, in general, uh, you guys, uh, this you're the part of the, the interagency <laughs> fire center out there. Uh, explain how that works when we see these big fires, people come from all over and uh, how fast can you guys respond? How many people are involved in this every year? Um, yeah, so it, all, it depends on um, how big the fire gets. So we have um, incident management teams that go and those are interagencies. So there's Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management, um, National Park Service. We also have um, local fire departments from Cal Fire to New York Fire Department that helps. So there's a different array of people that are on these incident management teams. 
Um, it could take a day or two. Everyone's traveling from across the area, depending on where the wildfire is. But a lot of times, um, the local area will respond to those fires initially. So if a wildfire does get called, it goes to a dispatch center and they send the appropriate resources that um, they have or ordered. So helicopters, engines, dozers, um, hand crews, um, air tankers too as well um, will be will be responded before our big incident management teams get out there. Um, so we have resources from across. Also, when it gets into um, PL5 or planning level uh, preparedness level five. Um, we can bring resources from international. So we've had Canada come down, Australia come to, um, over, as well as um, crews from Mexico come up and help too as well. So um, when we do get into the bigger fire seasons, like you saw maybe in 2020, 2021, we did have international resources that came and assisted us, as well now, as the military you, has helped us too as well. You, you mentioned at the top of this that you guys are out uh, working and helping Canada fight their fires. Uh, and I know that's a whole different area, but it, it, can you give us just a sense of how big those fires have been? Because uh, we've seen this report of smoke coming down. Yeah, and it's across actually all of Canada. You have it in British Columbia, you have it in Quebec. Um, and so it's been since early May, they've had wildfires. And so we've responded with um, air resources, smoke jumpers that have gone for the first time to Canada to support. We have engines, we've had hand crews, um, we've had Race radios from our um, Great Basin um, into the cache. We've sent radios, um, pumps, hoses, all that stuff to support them as much as we can. And so we've done that. Over about 2,500 um, personnel have responded in the last couple of months to support Canada in their wildfire effort. It's a, t a tough question. I don't even know if there's an answer to this, but why is Canada so bad this year and we're actually better than normal? I mean, what? And it, it all depends on um, the. The fuels, sometimes, some areas have drought, um, so they might have had a, a drought that they've seen unprecedented over the last few years. They haven't had a lot of moisture in the wintertime. So that's where a lot of ours comes to. If we get a lot of moisture, a lot of snowpack, that kind of helps with um, the fuels not drying out as early or as, in, you know, or as long. So they could, there could have been different reasons why Canada's burning. Um, and some of them are out in areas that um, it's hard to send get resources. It's like some of our wilderness fires. It's hard to get resources out there. Um, same thing with Canada. They're in areas where we can't they can't get resources there as quickly as you know if it was closer to a road system. So there's and, a lot of factors that come into play when 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 areas have precedent wildfires. Jennifer, thank you so much for helping us understand the wildfire issues out there and how we as campers and RVers can uh, can help you guys and help our yeah. forest. Thanks yeah, again. Anything, you're welcome. We all have a part to play. So thanks very much. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Well, that was uh, an interesting interview. And uh, I think we all heard there's a lot we can do as campers to be more careful, more vigilant, and to help uh, control these wildfires. Because as we've seen this summer, once they start, they can be very difficult to, to control. All right. When we come back, we've got uh, the RV news of the week. But first of all, for those of you who are looking for RV property, which is a really hot topic. So many RVers are fed up with never being able to get a reservation. There's a brand new uh, RV property that's going up for sale in just a couple of weeks in Tennessee. And we'll tell you about it right now. As you may know, Jennifer and I bought some land near Nashville, Tennessee. Now, for us, it was the antidote to crowded, expensive campgrounds and the end of worrying about reservations. It's a gorgeous area with friendly people, and it has been such a pleasure. The same developer 
has some new property in horse country coming up near us for sale September 2nd. It's called the Reserve at High Forest. Big properties, five to 67 acres. You can build a house, a cabin, or RV year-round. Prices start at $89,900. It is your property, your way, 100% ownership. And the scenery in this part of Tennessee, it's breathtaking. Garden, landscape, bring your pets, build what you want. There's high-speed internet and it is so private. It's a great place to make your home base ready whenever you want it. They're selling these September 2nd by appointment. Five to 67 acre properties from $89,900. There's great financing and big discounts on multi-lot packages. For information, visit rvlands.net. That's rvlands.net. Welcome back. And now it's time for the RV News of the Week. Well, there was a terrible tragic story out of Pennsylvania last week. Uh, an RV uh, blew a tire on I-81 and in it was a family of four, mom and dad, two kids. Uh, they were on their way to Loretta Lynn's Ranch in Tennessee, not far from our property in Tennessee, um, where they were going to be a part of some ATV races this, uh, this past weekend. Um, they were on their way and uh, on I-91 a tire on their RV blew and uh, it caused it to veer into the path of an oncoming semi-tractor trailer. Mom, dad, the two kids, the family dog, the truck driver that they hit uh, all died in this trash. It was just, it was just horrible. Um, and uh, just, just a great family. I, I tried to find out what kind of an RV it was and it was, the damage was so bad and all the photos, I, I couldn't tell. I, it looked by the size of, I thought one of the tires that it might've been a class A, but none of the stories I read referenced that. But uh, this whole idea of uh, tire blowouts uh, causes a lot of accidents. And we've talked a lot on the podcast uh, and on the RV Lifestyle blog about um, knowing the condition of your tires. And we'll put links to that in the show notes for you. But a tire blowout is a real concern for all of us. That's why, even though you could go faster, we don't recommend that you go uh, over the speed limit, uh, particularly if you're towing a vehicle. You know, keep it 55, 60, 65. Um, that's the sweet spot every expert says. Now, that's saying that you can't go faster, and a lot of people do. But um, when something happens like a, a catastrophic blowout of a tire, it's much harder to control it. Now, we don't know in the circumstance of this family how fast they were going, anything like that. We just know the tire blew, so the highway patrol and our condolences uh, to, to everybody who knew that family. But uh, a reminder to all of us, check our tire conditions. There was big news uh, from um, the uh, environmental front and the Biden administration this week. Yeah, the Biden administration, they created a new national monument last week, uh, nearly one million acres in Arizona. And uh, the land is near the Grand Canyon and is on land sacred to the Native Americans. And indigenous, indigenous nations um and conservationists have been talking about this for years. They've wanted to protect this land around the Grand Canyon. Uh, they've urged uh, different administrations to make it a national monument. Uh, they've been opposed by ranchers some private business owners, some who would like to do some mining. And it's been pretty controversial for a long time. 
And uh, the land holds uranium, which is crucial for the nuclear power plants. And current u- uranium claims are going to be honored, but no new uranium claims can be uh, approved now that it's a national monument. And the tribes, they, they view this as a, as a spiritually significant hunk of land. Uh, they've all released statements how they're uh, relieved that they'll be able to continue to hold their ceremonies and gather medicines uh, and miscellaneous plants there without worry about it changing. But a million acres, that is a big hunk of land, our latest and newest national monument. Speaking of the Grand Canyon, there was a story with a happy ending that came out of there this yeah, week. Yeah, this was, I don't know if you saw this guy's all over the news, 14-year-old kid from North Dakota. He fell over the edge of the north rim of the canyon about 70 feet uh, and he survived. Um, he was in stable medical condition, uh, as we put this uh, podcast together and he's been talking to people, uh, rescue crews couldn't get to him with a helicopter the way they normally do. They, so they had to use ropes to literally scale down this cliff and attach him to a basket and then scale back up the cliffs and get him to a, a trauma center in Vegas. Uh, and it happened because he was there at the edge with, you know, a lot of people and he tried to get out of the way. So some other tourists who were at that spot could take pictures and he slipped and he fell. Uh, and National uh, Park Service folks are saying, this is a reminder, don't cross over the safety barriers in the national park stay at least 10 feet from the edge of a cliff. Uh, if there are no barriers in that place, uh, because it's so easy to slip and fall and lose your balance. And so often it's because people go over there and they try to take selfies and they, they slip and fall it happens a couple of times a year. Yeah. All right. And so our next story has to do that uh, some campgrounds throughout the country are, are starting to sell out in anticipation of this October 14th annual solar eclipse. So an annual solar eclipse is when the moon passes between the sun and the earth, when it is, when it's at its farthest or nearest or point from the earth. And uh, this is a relatively rare event, and it's happening October 14th. And so the best viewing location begin in southern Oregon, traveling in a southeast diagonal line through Nevada, Utah, Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas. So campgrounds in the uh, full path are selling out, and many are planning special activities, like Mesa Verde National Park is one place where they're planning special activities for that. That's one of our favorite national parks, mm-hmm. Mesa Verde. Some great camping there, too. Um, so if this is something that you want to see, you better get out there and make your reservations. Yeah, it's pretty cool. There's a big one coming next year, too. But uh, this is uh, this is big, and uh, uh, you're gonna have trouble finding reservations uh, this year. But mm-hmm. uh, you might check out the one for next year, see if you can get in uh, in for that one too. It's a little different path next year. Uh, time now for the industry RV news of the week, and uh, Rick Kessler, who is the executive editor of the industry leading publications RV Business and Woodall's Camping Magazine, just got back from an industry uh, gathering out west, and here's the latest from the. RV industry. Hey, thanks, Mike and Jen. I just returned from San Diego, where the RV industry had gathered for the annual aftermarket conference. That's for the aftermarket parts and accessories. Well, one of the things they do each year is hand out a bunch of awards, of course, including to the new product of the year. And the winner this year was the safety rail, the safety rail from Moride. 
And if you haven't seen one yet, it's, it's pretty slick. It's a, an innovative handrail system that makes it safer and much more stable to get in and out of towable RVs. A heavy-duty magnet and pin stores the safety rail flat against the RV when not in use. And then, with a simple pull, the rail glides out, matching the angle to the entry steps for a much smoother and more stable entry and exit. In other news, the retail sales numbers came out for June, and they're not that bad. Well, let's just say they're not as bad as what they have been. In June this year, there were just under 41,000 RVs sold by dealers. That's still a 21.5% decrease from last June, but it is an improvement over the last several months, and it's certainly better than what everyone was expecting. The bottom line, RV dealers are starting to see a pickup in sales, and that has the whole industry starting to smile. And last but not least, the folks over at Jellystone Parks told us how they're expecting an especially busy camping season this fall. Yogi Bear and Cindy Bear and their buddy Boo Boo are planning a variety of activities at the company's parks that include everything from bobbing for apples to making scarecrows to competing to see who can create the scariest campsite. Well, that's it for this for this week. And Mike and Jen, back to you. Well, Mike, what, all I got to say is the first thing that we did when we got our new fifth wheel was put on that safety handrail. Yes. That, that is an awesome thing that they all ought to come with. Yeah, we did a video short on it a week or so ago, and we'll embed that in the show notes for this episode at RVLifestyle.com. But uh, it's a handy thing. And I, I don't know why RVers, uh, RV manufacturers don't make that a standard offering on all the trailers and the fifth wheels so you can get in easily. It's- must be a must be a cost issue, but it's well worth it. And the other thing that Rick was talking about, Jellystone Park, we love that park. We're going there on a family vacation uh, to do a story on fall camping in just uh, uh, about a, a month. Weeks. About a month, from yeah. Now. So that will be fun. So you can, if you've never been to one, they're a lot of they're fun. fun. Even if you don't have kids, you can go and watch the other kids have fun. <laughs> they uh, they really do a great job. I'm very impressed with Jellystone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll show you what it's like when we go in a week or so. All right, when we come back, we've got an RV tip of the week. When we're asked what's the most important modification we made to our RV, it's an easy answer. Battleborne batteries. Battleborne batteries are quality, safe, reliable lithium batteries that allow us to stay out there off the grid longer. Lithium batteries charge faster, they charge fuller, they're longer lasting, they're maintenance free. And battleborne batteries are protected by a 10 year guarantee. Now, in our case, they just dropped into the existing AGM batteries that we have, and they'll probably be the same on your rig, too. Battleborn battery experts can get those in your rig just like they did with ours. They can also match you up with the right cabling, the inverter, the charger, the solar controller, everything. Jennifer and I swear by our Battleborn batteries. They allow us to boondock off the grid. Check them out. Go to rvlifestyle.com slash lithium rvlifestyle.com slash lithium. Welcome back. It's time now for the RV tip of the week from certified RV inspector Brenda of Queen Bee RV. And today she's going to talk about roof maintenance for your RV. Do you know what one of your biggest enemies is when it comes to protecting your RV investment? 
The answer is water intrusion. It is the silent killer when it comes to protecting the integrity of your RV roof and even your sidewalls. The UV rays from the sun and weather and low hanging tree branches, all of those can wreak havoc up here and cause tears and soft spots and leaks, very costly to repair. Even a small tear or a pinhole in the ceiling up here can cost you big bucks. So let's go over some ideas of what you can do to protect your RV roof. This is one of the props that we use at the Big Red Schoolhouse. And I'm gonna use this one to show you what I do to protect my own roof and those of my clients. First, I want you to hire a professional if you do not feel comfortable accessing your RV roof. They've been trained like me to access this properly and safely. At least twice a year, I want you to get this roof cleaned, especially that sealant, all cleaned up so we can take a closer look. I like to be on my hands and knees when I'm on the RV roof. This allows me to check for soft spots, look for any tears in the roof membrane, and then also get a really close look at all of that sealant. We wanna make sure there are no cracks or gaps or missing sealant. It's not super damaged from the weather. And if any of the sealant does need to be repaired, replaced, or touched up, please be sure to refer to your owner's manual for the recommended type of sealant for your roof material. Roof maintenance can keep money in your wallet, keep your rig out of the repair shop, and protect your investment. Back to you, Mike and Jen. Wow, I think that's quite a challenge to twice a year check that roof. Yeah, I think that's probably the most overlooked part of an RV for most people, that they don't really check it. And one of the most complained issues involving RVs are leaky roofs. So, duh, you put the two together. Time now for the App of the Week. And the App of the Week is sponsored uh, by NewTravelTech.com. That's our sister blog that celebrates the many different ways that technology in enhances the RV travel experience. And this week, we uh, want to feature something called RV Life Pro. And this is actually a whole suite of tools that is aimed at making camping simple. And uh, we have uh, been big fans of this for a couple of things. First of all, RV Trip Wizard. That's part of this suite that RV Life Pro offers. And that is... Uh, hands down the best RV trip planning tool in the market. I mean, it. I, I, I would take the rest of the show to tell you how important and how cool that is. But then you get something else with it that's you, pretty cool. Yeah, I get the RV Life GPS app. Yes. Now, this GPS app uh, will turn your phone or your tablet into uh, an RV-centric map that uh, automatically syncs your trips that you've done with RV Trip Wizard, and, and it'll show it on the app, but uh, they work really well. Uh, they take into account the size, the length, the height of your RV, and so they will keep you away from any routes where you're going to run into a low overpass or something. And then you also get some other cool stuff. Yeah, you do. You get to maintain my RV. Yeah. Now, that's an important thing. That it is. We don't keep track of it like do people do with their cars they keep you know meticulous records do you know when the last time you you know what do you have to do with your rv you have to lube the bearings on the wheels on your on your rv well we learned this week we got to check out that roof twice a year yeah so so all those tools and there's some other things i think you can have access to great reviews and campgrounds and stuff from real people not from bots uh rv life pro is what it's called now it costs 65 bucks a year 
because but as we said this is a suite of tools so it, it's it's more than just a little app you know uh but 65 bucks a year, we can get you a great price discount. I think we can get you 25% off if you use the code RV Lifestyle. RV Lifestyle, on one word. And if you go to the show notes of this episode, RVLifestyle.com, scroll down under the podcast tab to the app of the week. And where you see that, we've got a special link that'll take you directly there and you'll get our discount. But check it out, RV Life Pro. When we come back, we have your questions about the RV lifestyle. Stay with us. Have you had it with overbooked, overcrowded campgrounds? Then check out Harvest Hosts, where RVers can overnight for free at more than 2,400 wineries, farms, microbreweries, golf courses, and attractions. Harvest Host is a membership service for those with self-contained RVs looking for unique, beautiful, and peaceful overnight camping experiences across North America. When you become a member of Harvest Host, you can camp for free at all these places. Jennifer and I are Harvest Host members, and we've made so many great memories at Harvest Host locations. There's no charge for camping, and your Harvest Host membership fee is easily made up with just a couple of stays. Plus, you have awesome places to stay. If you use our special affiliate link of rvlifestyle.com slash HH, you'll automatically get 15% off the cost of your membership. That's 15% off. But you must use the special link, rvlifestyle.com slash HH. Now it's time for the question of the week. And the first one is from Mike. And Mike asks, I would like to know if my freshwater tank, 30 gallons, should be left completely full or left completely empty between trip settings in my driveway. I currently empty my freshwater tank completely after several days of returning home, leaving it sitting empty for a couple of days, then completely refill tank, allowing to set no more than 10 days, continuing this cycle until the next trip. Has anybody used this product called Clear 2O called Tank Fresh, which, if I understand correctly, is made for this very purpose? And again, that was from Mike. Okay. Um, well, Mike, you have a small tank, 30 gallons, so count yourself lucky. But first, I want to answer that product that you mentioned about it's really not meant for repeated uses during the season. In other words, every time you come home, you don't want to throw that in there. Uh, what it is, is it's kind of like a shock. It's meant, you know how you, like when you shock, you open your swimming pool. If you have a swimming pool at the top of the year, they shock it by throwing extra chemicals in to get it balanced, the water balance. Well, this is meant to sort of shock, clean out your freshwater tank at the start of the season. Um, so it's not something you would just dump in every time. Um, now as to your process, what you're doing is pretty good. Uh, that's what we do with ours. We empty the freshwater tank. If we're going to leave it now, if we're, if we're going someplace and we're back and forth and we're using that sap that we're constantly using it, it's fine. But when it sits for even a few days in particularly in the summer, if there's a lot of water in that freshwater tank, it's going to get skunky. It might be still okay to drink, but it's going to smell a little bad and it's going to taste a little bad. So we think it's very important to uh, empty it and keep it emptied while it's stored. Now, you cannot, just like your black tank, you can't use too much water. But with your fresh tank, it's really good to fill it up, empty it, and then put, you know, when you're going to travel, maybe put a third of a tank in, just enough so you can flush the toilet, wash your hands as you're driving and then you can top it off when you get to wherever you're camping but um 
emptying and going through that and emptying it and emptying it, filling it and emptying it as often as you can is your best way to keep it fresh and good. If it's really bad, we have found if you use just a tiny bit of bleach, you can use that fresh tank, fresh or whatever it was you talked about. You could use that or products like it, but we just use like a, a tablespoon of bleach for every 10 gallons and uh, that, and then drive around a little bit, let it slosh around, then empty it, and then fill it. And if you still have a chlorine tape, you got a chlorine taste. You got to still empty it again, or that bleach taste. You got to empty it again. Um, it's a it's a delicate dance, but uh, running water through there as often as as possible is is your best solution. Let's do another question this week. Okay, so is boondocking possible with a thirty six foot fifth wheel? Are sites accessible with that big of a rig? It seems like most boondockers do use a class B or C camper. Unfortunately, we only have our fifth wheel. Thanks, and that's from Terry. What do you think? Well. It is a bit of a problem when you got the bigger rig to find boondocking spots. They are out there, but it does it does make it more of a challenge, especially like the national parks. It's hard to find a spot. Um, most national parks don't can't handle anything over thirty feet. Uh, most national and state forests uh, don't have big spots available either. Uh, plus, in those state and national forest uh, access roads, they may start off great, but they quickly narrow, and then there's very limited space to turn around if you have to. Um, I shouldn't be telling you something you don't already know, that uh, the bigger the rig, the more challenging it is to find non-traditional campground spots for it. Uh, harvest hosts, surprisingly, most of those places can handle a big rig like that, even though you might be boondocking there. And, and many of them are really nice spots. So harvest host is a place where you could do some boondocking and often all by yourself. Uh, you know, just do some check in there. Uh, boondockers welcome, which is also part of harvest hosts can help you find some spots. But in general, you're going to find it a challenge to find, uh, boondocking places for those big rigs. Most big rigs uh, are um, are going to camp in state parks or commercial campgrounds. It's just because of their size. That trying to turn around can be a real challenge. Yeah. Hey, sometimes backing in can be a real challenge. <laughs> as I still try to figure that out when I drive the fifth wheel. All right. That's our uh, show for this week. Uh, we'd love to get your questions and your comments and your suggestions. Just email us. Our personal email address is Mike and Jen at rvlifestyle.com. Happy trails.